From Advisory Board, we're bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. Healthcare organizations have faced unprecedented challenges and uncertainty since the start of the COVID-19 crisis. But it's not all bad news. Some organizations have showcased incredible resilience, innovation, and partnership. And some are already thinking about how they can carry that positive momentum into the future. On this episode, I want to share one of those stories. To do that, I've brought Dr. Tom Mihailovich, the CEO and president of the Cleveland Clinic, and Dr. Cliff McGarrian, the president and incoming CEO of University Hospitals. Tom, Cliff, welcome to Radio Advisory. You both lead organizations that operate in Northeast Ohio, which I have shared my love for many, many times on this podcast. How long have the two of you actually known each other? Do you sort of run in the same circles? Well, I think we clearly run in the same circles today. But <laughs> to directly answer your question, when I was named uh, CEO to be, if you will, in 2019, Tommy was exceedingly gracious and reached out. Uh, and we, before COVID, arranged dinner together. I give him credit for suggesting that we start simply talking and seeing where this relationship could go. Hold on, I've got to I've got to jump in here. Did you did you say Tommy? I may have said that that's a mistake. Um, <laughs> oh, I but... called him Tom. No, 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 that's that's perfectly fine actually. Those who I trained with and back from my days in Boston there, uniform all called me Tommy. We're a big fan of nicknames here. Huh. I always think that it is helpful to ground these conversations and how things operated before the COVID-19 crisis. You've mentioned that the Cleveland Clinic and university hospitals are competitors. I might even call you fierce competitors. Give me a sense about how your two systems acted in normal times. You know, I'm going to ask Tommy to go first because he's been in a leadership position longer than I have between the two of us. And uh, <laughs> then I get to hear what he says first. <laughs> Tom? Uh, so at a, at a relatively distant past, we really did not have that much communication between our two, two places. We just yeah. didn't uh, for a number of different reasons. Most of them are historical. Uh, but with the change in leadership uh, and uh, with an evolution of um, of our thinking about how can we help communities, they are our dialogue intensified and became became richer and much more productive. So currently we have an open lines of communication. It's a completely different era. I think era is probably the right way to describe it because when I think about your two organizations, right, you both operate in the same market. You are both academic medical centers. You're two of the largest employers in the state, let alone in Cleveland, and you both operate organizations with a growth-oriented mindset. Despite all of that kind of competition, you decided to come together and and help each other and help the community in the battle against COVID-19. How did that conversation actually happen? Well, I, I think that, first of all, both Tom and myself recognized that perhaps the prior mindset that 
perhaps success of our personal organization, it was a zero sum game with regards to the community. In other words, we can't both be successful. Hmm. I think that we both seen probably by carefully studying our organization's past that that's actually not true, that we can both be very successful and use discretionary time and effort to then come together on non-competitive arenas. And I think that was probably the basis behind our decision to unleash the forces of our organization to begin searching for even better value together for the community. Mm -hmm. Do you remember who started the conversation? Who approached whom first? Well, we were both at dinner together, so I don't remember. Oh, it was at the same dinner. Yeah. I don't know if he was uh, in between, uh, you know, sips of our drinks, which one. <laughs> but I would I would have to say Tom deserves a lot of credit as someone who had been sitting in the seat uh, for quite some time. And, you know, uh, and I, I, I learned this from a good friend. When you're a new leader, you're like a mouse, two big ears and a small mouth. <laughs> Tom made the suggestion and, and we ran with it. Hmm. What we've learned, I think, both Cliff and I, I believe that I can speak for both of us, is that all these big initiatives typically just start with a willingness and a simple phone call. It doesn't mm-hmm. require much of strategy, quite frankly. Just call up and you'll be really, really surprised how people uh, respond favorably to, to reasonable requests. Are there any kind of prerequisites that you would recommend other organizations have before they launch a partnership like the one that you now have? First prerequisite is you get to know each other. I think what Cliff has described, you know, just for us to 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 meet one another at the at the dinner, it's a really important first step. It is difficult to get uh, get a phone call from a competitor organization from the leader of that organization if you were never to met uh, her or him. Uh, but you know, once you once you meet and establish this personal connection, things typically flow easier. What do you think, Cliff? You know, as I said uh, at one of our meetings, I really firmly believe we could take our cues from that of diplomacy of larger countries and organizations. And it, if you peel the onion back, it all starts with a subtle bit of trust between two leaders. And mm-hmm. that trust can't be established necessarily over the phone or by email. There has to be some level of humanity and human trust and a bi-directional, non-transactional level of trust that develops. And only from that point can creative strategies for the broader sense emerge. Hmm. So you've gotten to know each other. You've had that initial outreach. Explain to our audience, what was it that your two systems decided to do to come together and fight the coronavirus pandemic? The good news is that we'd already come together and made a decision, frankly, before COVID was on the table, that we were going to work together. And I think things happen serendipitously. In other words, that was a perfect event, whether designed or undesigned, to help us be in a position literally two weeks later after our first dinner for us to be hit with COVID. And we quickly realized that the governor and the leaders of the Ohio Department of Health needed to have a unified voice from Northeast Ohio. So the first job is that we got together with our teams and reacted to how we felt our priority should be. And number two, how we can help the governor and the Department of Health respond so that we are exactly saying the same things. Mm. Uh, And those were very crucial conversations because there was some discussion about uh, limiting a government mandate to limit surgeries. And there was a big decision whether it should be um, elective versus what's called 
uh, essential. That may not mean a lot, but it can mean a lot depending on how it's interpreted. And when the governor heard that the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospital of Cleveland were completely lockstep in their recommendations uh, for our patients, that became a series of more, if you will, collaborations. Hmm. And you also, I think, came together for testing as well. Is that right? Yes, that that is right. I mean, what we the the so to say the chronology of us getting together is first we established the direct connections between leaders and leadership teams. Secondly, we agreed that there are going to be certain areas where we're going to collaborate. Thirdly, when it comes to COVID pandemic, uh, we put those principles into action and came to a conclusion that we serve the same community. And we called one another, established a joint task force to open a first drive-through testing center in Ohio. And we we did it within 48 hours. Wow. Our teams got together. We identified the the location that was best suited to serve the community. And two teams for the first time, two teams from different hospitals got together and established the testing center drive-through, which is in its function to, to this date. And that was a really a beginning of COVID testing in a larger scale in our home state. And then we added to that by putting together a unified response to some areas of um, uh, living circumstances, such as nursing homes and prisons, where people didn't have proper care. And we were able to team up with regard to that testing. We were able to team up and lead a major section together of uh, Ohio in dealing with day-to-day feedback to the uh, governor and his team. And so I think every step of the way, we've had a team literally working together that takes off their team jerseys and works together as one Mm. team. And I think that in the abstract, this kind of collaboration might seem simple, but I'm betting that the practicalities are hard. I'm even thinking about the decision, the very, very rapid decision about where to put drive-through testing. And right, you're in the same market, but you're obviously not in the same place Were there any kind of barriers that you came up against in this path that you had to knock down that you'd like to give others advice on in order to avoid? I I can speak first. I I really don't think there were actually any barriers. No. Not at all. Not at all. The key is that when when our teams know that we are aligned, they're typically not going to come up uh, with problems or barriers. The the barriers really start at a leadership level, but the leadership is aligned. There were no barriers whatsoever. That's the reason why we were able to do so much in such a short period of time without really any major major hiccups. And this is not the one that I would be I would be aware of. Do you think that that would be true in the face of a different crisis? I'm thinking it can be easy to say, you know, we're, we're almost at war, right? We have this common enemy, so everyone needs to get aligned really fast. But would that kind of natural alignment exist for other types of collaboration? Well, I think that we both have plausible deniability because our decision to collaborate began well before of the COVID crisis That's before right. we even knew what COVID really was. But at the time, we laid out a very quick concept that we're together fighting opioid and opioid issues and de-escalation of opioid prescriptions and also management of addiction. We realized that we have a combined need 
to help folks in impoverished part of our joint community to get jobs and job training. And we put that on the list. We uh, realized that we recruit people who are sometimes spouses and couples who each of us don't have the ability to hire both. And so we should jointly work on recruiting where there are trailing spouses, as they say. We even talked about issues such as supply chain, possibly working at areas such as uh, central sterile supply, laundry, uh, that perhaps we could look at even joint ventures that are non-competitive. So we laid out a list before COVID of areas that we wanted to work. So I, I think that it accelerated it, the COVID crisis, but in the end of the day, we were on track to begin these conversations because we knew it was the right thing to do. And this list you're talking about as being the kind of initial conversation is now the future conversation, right? It's now how you plan on continuing to collaborate beyond just the COVID-19 crisis. Is that right? Yeah, I think that it, that is right. You know, what is nice about the list that Cliff uh, described and share with you as that both of us think that uh, this is this is the list that every partnering healthcare organizations in different geographical areas can embrace without any hesitancy. Why is that? Because there is nothing to lose. There is only something to be gained by working together in the areas where we are we're really not uh, competitive whatsoever. Mm. There are a lot of shared areas such as with all of this that Cliff has described, the ability to jointly recruit in our geographical area to share what we call a back office resources, whether it's a supply chain, whether it's a laundry, whether it's a sterilization. Those are not parts of the hospital offerings that... Uh, create any competitive advantage between two organizations. Quite to the contrary, we all we should all partner together for two reasons. One is to address the needs of the community yes. uh, through a number of different ways. And the second one is to, quite frankly, decrease and optimize the, the cost base for our organizations that are consistently challenged. So we do believe that this is a matrix that could be extended and could be envisioned to be extended throughout the, the United States at a, at a federal level when a nonprofit healthcare organization should collaborate for the benefit of, of broader society. Let me give you two quick examples, and this is an area that I failed to mention. In research and education, there's what's called T32 grants, which are training grants offered by the NIH to train the next generation of clinical scientists. In one particular area, such as gastroenterology, previously we did not have this type of grant, and we decided to work the two groups together, where the leaders in GI mutually applying for T32 training. Now we get the grant. Now what will happen is postgraduate trainees will train at both places, but the reason the NIH gave the grant is they saw that the combined resources were better than each of us alone. Oh, wow. So you're saying that by coming together, yes. you actually were able to earn an advantage that neither of you would have had in isolation. We believe we were successful because we came together and had a better application. Hmm. We had the same in a recent U Award for cardiovascular research that we had two brilliant teams, but we came together. We came together. Yeah. And that grant received probably the highest score. We'll wait and see about funding, but it received a fundable score where it may not have before. We both benefit together. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. 
looking for more ways to connect with Ray and our other experts? To stay up to date on the biggest news and issues in healthcare today, follow Advisory Board on social media. There, you'll find resources for your team, our experts' latest blog posts, and information about upcoming special events. On Twitter, we're at AdvisoryBD. And we're on Facebook and LinkedIn, too. Just search for Advisory Board. Running a health system doesn't need to be a zero-sum game, especially when you think about the mission and being able to serve the community, that there are things that, that folks can come together on that aren't competitive at all. So why not get the benefits of economies of scale, cost reduction, et cetera? Practically speaking, how do some of these things actually operationalize between your two systems? Are there more task forces like you've had with COVID-19? How does that work? We meet actually our executive teams with the regular cadence once every several weeks, depending upon what is the appropriate cadence given the things that we need to work with jointly. But we actually meet two executive teams from competing organizations meet together. Wow. And so we have an agenda that we just outlined with you, the list of the topics that we that we follow through each each task, whether it's an opioid task force or educational grants or so on, has representatives from each organization. So they're there. Uh, they they report to us on the progress that they've they've made. And uh, then we determine uh, how we're going to go from from that point on. But we actually do meet executive teams. Yeah. Uh, mid and it's it's full full composition. That's very beneficial. And I'm still just amazed that you said, Tom, that there, that you haven't faced any barriers. Even the idea of two completely different executive teams, right? Two kind of different sets of jerseys coming together, and there have been no no hiccups in the road. No, no, absolutely no hiccups. We're not not really trying to uh, color it in a, in a way that is uh, that is inaccurate, but. There's no reason for it, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, we're we're just doing the right thing. Both organizations have a very, very strong uh, sense of uh, responsibility for doing doing the right thing. We're nonprofit yeah. organizations. We're not taking food off of one another's table. And uh, and no, we have not had not a single single issue so far. At least not not the one that I'm aware of. Uh, Cliff, what do you say? No, I, I agree with you, but I, I, I want to back that up. It's one thing to think that everything is fine. It's another thing to know what the opinions are of the people that matter. Sure. And first of all, you may or may not have seen an op-ed in our local plane dealer that maybe you can get a hold of that was written uh, by Tom and myself. Yes. And that was met with incredible enthusiasm from city, county, local college leaders, business leaders, as a sign of new times. And then I can speak, I can't speak for Tom on this, but I can speak for my board. You know, my board has embraced this, frankly, as something that they feel, as some have said, it's about time. So I'm I'm getting wind at my sails uh, from my leadership and also from the city fathers and mothers that they think this is right for our community. I did see that op-ed. In fact, the op-ed was one of the reasons why I reached out to you to to do this episode at all, because I guess I too was thinking it's about time and this is so great and let's do everything we can to support this kind of cross-system partnership. 
So maybe I'm even evidence of that. Well, I know that we're also working on a white paper that is much more detailed and sophisticated that our teams are jointly working on that will be potentially shared with another news outlet, maybe even one of the business uh, school journals that has much more detail huh. in it. And so we are we are continuing, obviously, to believe, as Tom mentioned earlier, the amount of time and unnecessary waste, perhaps, that goes into certain municipalities where there's competing hospitals, they can still compete on what they have to compete about to remain nonprofit and make sure that they are good in the eyes of the FTC. But there's many things they don't need to compete on that they could collaborate. Right. And we hope that this could be used as perhaps a white paper or a model uh, for other, if you will, uh, major cities. Yeah. Does that mean that you have specific kind of metrics that you're targeting or tracking? Is there a way that you've looked at this for, you know, gosh, how will we determine the success of this kind of a partnership? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We have appropriate metrics for every initiative that we're that we're putting together. So I'll just give you one example to be very, very concrete. Uh, job creation in Northeast Ohio. Both our organizations are uh, largest employers in the city, and we want to create more career opportunities uh, for, in particular, for people from our immediate communities. So when we go about that particular initiative, uh, we have very, very firm metrics. And the firm metrics are simply the number of lives, the number of lives that we can improve through job creation uh, from our from our immediate communities so that we can measure the impact of, uh, uh, of our joint effort. We know exactly how many people are employing today individually and therefore obviously uh, jointly. And we're looking to amplify that ability to create new jobs by joining forces. So uh, it is really, really critical for everything that we do to be measured in a very accurate way, because ultimately that really stimulates the teams, our teams, to do the right thing. That's right. I want each of you to kind of roll the tape forward for me by, let's say, five years. What do you think the state of this kind of partnership that you've established now could look like in the coming years? Well, I mean, I could go down what my what my hopes and dreams are, but I think we're on the way. But I would hope that uh, not only in the six or so uh, avenues that I've mentioned that we are collaborating in, that we will have found many other areas that we can collaborate in uh, to make our, our community greater and stronger, we can escalate and almost not one plus one equals two in terms of research output, but get to the point of one plus one equals three in the totality of the meaningful research contributions that this region is able to um, be proud of. Um, and we have looked even further into areas of education, areas of uh, postgraduate training, areas of um, ancillary healthcare training that are known uh, as models uh, for collaboration in the country that others begin to follow. And, and perhaps others find even better ways of doing it, but they could point to this as a genesis of their thoughts. Hmm. Tom, how about from you? Well, I believe that what, you, what you're hearing from us uh, simply translates in our uh, willingness to create the largest scale to, for good for good of our communities. I mean, this is really joint effort to create a scale 
for a powerful, powerful engine to create more good in our in our societies, in our communities, through better healthcare, better job creation, better research, and better better education. This is what nonprofit organizations in the United States needs to stand for when it comes to those in healthcare, obviously. And what I would hope for in five to ten years that a that a paradigm that we're establishing here in Northeast Ohio will be embraced by other healthcare uh, systems throughout the United States. Mm -hmm. It is really important for us to underscore that competitiveness is really good. It is, it, it is something that will never go, go away, shouldn't go away. It's really important that we have different organizations to compete in areas of, of uh, uh, quality and uh, access to patient care. There's nothing wrong about this. But then that there is this wide, very broad spectrum of public health care needs that we should collaborate in. And uh, we in the United States have to, have to embrace this as uh, a common responsibility, shared responsibility, better said. And I hope that if anything that this pandemic has taught healthcare organizations that that is the case, because we're, we're seeing kind of in real time that fighting this crisis does require collaboration, not just between health systems, but across every aspect of the healthcare industry. Oh, that's for sure. I mean, take a look at just uh, where we are in the United States right now. We do not have a national healthcare system. We have several thousands hospitals. None of us really commands more than a half a percent on the average, even large organization of uh, market share, if you will, on a, on a U.S. U.S. healthcare market. So with so many relatively small healthcare organizations, we have to find some kind of unifying ground in order to improve the public health in the United States. That's exactly right. And I think everything that Cliff and I have shared with you, I think it's a wonderful example that doesn't require broad reforms, that doesn't require new ways of funding. It just requires the willingness of the leaders in a certain geographical area to agree on the areas that are important for their community, to basic rules of the engagement, and then also uh, the ways that they're going to measure their success. That is, in the simplest terms, what we are trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's very well said. Well, Cliff, Tom, I, I really want to thank you so much for coming on Radio Advisory and sharing this really positive story, even in the face of, of a lot of crisis that organizations are, are feeling right now. I, I want to give each of you a moment to kind of speak directly to our listeners. When it comes to partnership, what advice do you want to leave the healthcare leaders listening to this podcast with? Cliff, let's start with you. What Tom just mentioned, I think, very succinctly put together the, if you will, the mandate that all of us leaders of large nonprofit health systems need to realize that we're not meeting our mandate simply to deliver a particular margin or grow or keep a certain market share. We are nonprofit organizations that by lieu of um, freedom from paying taxes, we have to deliver back to our community. If we can work with our competitors, if you will, in areas that are non-competitive, that are areas that are not necessarily adding to our ability to deliver care, we are going to ultimately develop a better way to respond to our overall goal, which is to give back to our communities. That's very important. My second advice will be is that you have to have an open mind. 
You cannot look at every such beginning of such a partnership or negotiation as a mechanism of somehow enhancing your position at the detriment of the other. Or it has to, you have to put that, take that hat off, and you have to look as someone who is responsible for this most valuable asset, this being this nonprofit organization, and how could you do even better? And I will I will argue that by finding the partners you could trust and then working together, that you will better achieve the job that all of us CEOs, me soon-to-be CEO, will have. Tom, what advice do you have when it comes to partnership? You know, I think it's probably the best advice that I could give to anyone is just simply to be open to it, be open-minded to it. I think oftentimes partnerships are being viewed as a threat. Cliff and I viewed it as an opportunity. Your crowns are not going to fall off of anyone's head if they partner with one another. Quite to the contrary, quite to the contrary. And it doesn't require a business plan. It doesn't require strategic thinking. It just simply requires a phone call or a dinner. There is nothing wrong about it. I think that the mandate for all of us ultimately is we have to do the right thing. And the right thing that we have to do is to serve our patients. And the right thing that we all have to do is to serve our communities. It has always been clear to us. It has become clearer through this pandemic. Collaborating enriches. It just makes each participant richer for the experience. It mobilizes your own caregivers in your organization in a way that is very, very positive. It speaks volumes to your community, just like Cliff has said. I mean, we you know everyone from our municip- municipalities to our state government, people are looking for us to, to do the right thing for, for, for our fellow citizens. And uh, what a better way to do it than through, through collaboration. I think it's a liberating experience. I think this is something that one simply needs to embrace. Just pick up a phone and meet with your with your with your know, fellow fellow caregivers in your neighborhood and trust me everything is going to be just fine <laughs> i love that that's the message just pick up the phone and call the organization down the street well thanks so much for coming on radio advisory thank you very much thank you for having us both thank you I hope from this episode, you see that partnership, even amid competing organizations, is possible. But it has to start from the top. And I hope, like Tom and Cliff said, that we will see more and more organizations go down this path. And when you do, remember, we are here to help. This makes me feel like a professional with this massive. Yeah, my God, you look more professional than I do, and I'm the podcast host. My goodness. Yeah, Ray, we got we got to get you one of those booms. Yeah, I I want a microphone. Yeah, the moment I finally fail in this job, this is my next profession. (laughs) 